Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, good, interesting, interesting things here. Let's uh, uh, invoke God's blessing on our time in the Word. Father, we love your Word, and we, we take it real seriously around here. I mean, listen, people could be doing a lot of things today. What are, what are they? They've come out. They've got an open book, open Bible, an open Bible app on their laps waiting to hear from you, Lord. And, uh, Lord, I have understood for a long season, I can't do this in the power of the flesh. So, Spirit of God, minister to your people. Tell them the things that you would have them know. Show us Jesus in, in our study here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If there be a controversy between men, I can't picture that. You'll just, you just have to imagine, okay? If there be a controversy between men and they come into judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. I know that's hard for you to conceptualize living in America as well, but that's what God calls for. And Jesus says, if you're going to judgment with your brother, settle the dispute in the way before you get there. And that's, that, why couldn't Christians come to a consensus? Because I think one guy here thinks, well, I don't have a very weak case, but I think I can buffalo the judge and get my way. And, because people are strong-willed and are very often rebellious. It shall be if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. Forty stripes he may give him and not exceed, lest if he should exceed and beat him above those with many stripes then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. Let's stop there. Oh, that's barbaric. You know, there was a youth in, I want to say, Singapore, some fiery, it was an Asian country where they still beat you with rods, and he was, I think he was keying automobiles or something, some sort of thing like that, you know, just destroying people's private property, and he was apprehended. And they were going to beat him with rods. And America uh, poured out, oh, this is barbaric, and, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, if you're going to throw me in prison for an indefinite period of time, I'll take any beating you have rather than that. I think it's, I think it's a better system. What we do is somebody's, you know, done something, we put him in jail. Boy, you've got to do something really bad now to be thrown in jail. I mean, really horrific. And even then, you know, Seven or eight years, you'll be out in two. Good behavior. and uh, I, I just think the immensity of things that a person has to do now. But I don't care. Like if you're being held in jail, waiting for your court date to come up, you've, you're serving a jail sentence. Call me guilty, beat me. I don't want to go to jail for an extended period of time. I think that's just the worst thing imaginable to me. I think God's got it right. Uh, smack them a few times, smarten them up, eh, he probably won't do it again. I, I don't know if that kid who got beaten in Singapore or, or we're at Hong Kong or wherever it was, right? Uh, I don't know if he's still keying cars in, the, in Asia. I would guess that he, he wasn't. And he wasn't killed. He was, he was beaten with rods, okay? And we were still, again, all biting our toenails and all nerved up about it. And they said, yeah, whatevs, and went ahead and did it anyway because... Guess what? America doesn't lead the world in what should be uh, jurisprudence because we're really, really, these days, miserably poor at it. Um, Forty stripes. Forty stripes. Uh, that's the maximum number. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the maximum number because God's gracious. It turned into 39 because in case somebody lost count, they wouldn't, they wouldn't accidentally give somebody 41 because that would go against God's law. And they were very concerned about not breaking God's law. And I think that is a good thing. And grace, right? Not, so how many times was uh, Jesus beaten? Anyone? No. Some will say 40, some will say 39. It's not given to us. I was surprised in my studies this week. I always thought 39 times. It's not given to us. And of course, he was beaten by Romans who are not very familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 25. So who knows, you know. And I have an idea. They were a bloodthirsty, nasty bunch anyway. They wouldn't con be concerned with grace or anything like that. 
if, uh, if you watch the movie The Passion, and I watched that scene, that was particularly very stressing to me. I watched that scene through my fingers like this, going, oh, stop beating that man. Spirit of God ministered to me and said, why, you don't think you're that bad? I'm like, yeah, he's doing that for you. I was, I was, I was watching it, like I said, like this, and I'm like, I'm never going to sin again in my whole life. That lasted for 10 minutes. You know how you, you make these, you know, anyway. But my heart was right. My heart was good. You don't want to beat him too many. He's a man. Um, you shouldn't, you, you know, you shouldn't beat him with many, many stripes. Our brother shall seem vile unto thee. And that's important. Give him a dose of the medicine he deserves, and that's it. And then everyone, everyone hugs afterwards. We're all good, and on we go with our life. We're talking about stripes, and I'm talking about something capital punishment, okay? If somebody murders somebody, kidnaps somebody, we've read in Scripture where there's some capital offenses. We talked about that last week. Should, you know, we talked about someone who steals another man or something. Should that person be put to death? In my world, yeah. Yeah, obviously. I can't think of anything more nightmarish uh, than somebody who I love gone missing permanently. Maybe a... Uh, in sex trafficking or, or some ritualistic abuse and then murdered. It's, just, it's beyond the pale. Uh, yeah, a person like that should be put to death. There's no qu question about it. Verse 4, one of my favorite verses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Is that your favorite verse? No, it's not, but it's kind of funny that it's there. Is that a non sequitur? Hey, Mo, focus, okay? You're talking about being beaten with stripes and all of a sudden we're not muzzling or not muzzling oxen. What's the point? Um, what's the connection? Well, that's the homework question that I'm not going to give you the answer to. Is it a non sequitur? Non sequitur, you know. But I'm talking to people who aren't quite as bright as you who will download this later, okay? Does not follow in the Latin, non sequitur. Like, you know, you're talking about something, and all of a sudden you're talking about something else. Like, <laughs> where did you make that jump? Uh, is this a non sequitur? You, you figure it out. But I won't tell you what it means, just the same. You have an ox, he's pulling this wheel over grain and cracking the, 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 the chaff, the, separating the chaff from the kernel inside, and it's hard work. And that ox is working hard, doing your work for you, and if he wants a mouthful of grain or something, you let him have it. That's not unreasonable. Now, Paul exploits this twice, in the New Testament to say the people who work from the gospel should be paid by the gospel. Um, th th don't muzzle the ox while he treads the grain. And he goes on to say, you think God wrote that for oxen? Oxen don't read. He's, and he exploits that and he makes a, a, a principle out of it. And I think it's a good principle. The workman is worthy of his hire. And we've talked about that here. No big deal, okay? So we all understand that. Don't muzzle the ox. The, the one who's doing the work, let him have some of the benefits of the work. That's, that's what it's saying. Uh, and, you know, Paul says, do you think God just cares for oxen? Uh, you don't think he cares for human beings? He's already placed. In God's economy, we have, uh, you know, man who's a little lower than the angels. We'll talk about that tonight in Psalm 8. Uh, is he a little higher than the monkeys, a little higher than the animals? No, Jesus says you're worth more than many sparrows. He doesn't, God, Jesus doesn't have this fuzzy idea, you know, the animal kingdom and man. We're just a little bit better because we've evolved, you know, we've we got speech and opposable thumbs and our brains are a little larger and we're just a little bit more important. Man is created, not evolutionized. We didn't evolve. We are created in the image of God. And Jesus knows that. The Creator knows that. Jesus, the Creator, knows that. And He tells us that. You're worth more than... If you've gained the whole world, and that would include the animal kingdom, and you lost your soul, what, what have you gained? Anyway, let's keep moving. So that, don't muzzle... So, and if you're going home... You get this you know, whole thing going where you're going to get the, some wheat and you get some barley and you get some uh, ox. All you don't put a muzzle on them, okay? We won't have that. How does this principle involve you now? And you say, well, Paul's already said that. Well, other ways. You think, pray. God will bring things to you. Will bring things to your mind. Verse 5. And by the way, that's called 
meditation. We're invoked in Scripture many times to meditate on God's Word. All right, God, I understand what that was for and what, at that time, but we're not doing that. How do, how do you want me to live out this principle that best shows your nature in, in these things? You think God would answer a prayer like that? I think he always does. I think he always does. <laughs> maybe not quick, maybe not the way we want, maybe put some back burner, and then we're hearing a sermon, all of a sudden, oh my goodness, or we're just thinking about these things, and, and just, it, it comes to us. I don't think it comes to us. I think the Holy Spirit brings it to us. But that's a story for another time. Let's keep moving. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. Uh... And it shall be that the firstborn which he beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. It's called the Levite marriage from the Greek lever. It means brother-in-law. Um, strange. So basically you got uh, a, 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 a woman. She marries the guy. He dies. Without, and the idea is without any children. So the next in line brother takes her as wife, raises up seed unto her. Let's leave it at that. And, and, and this is how so his name isn't taken out of Israel. Because you remember all the land and the inheritance rights came through male prodigy. And sometimes female in some certain situations. The daughters of Zalotha had. Some will know what I'm referring to. But mostly it was through the male, and that's how it happened. So what happens to the man's land if he doesn't have any sons to give it to? It's an important thing. Look at that his name be not uh, put out of Israel. Now, some will say, is this something we're supposed to practice today? We're not even supposed to practice this in our thinking, okay? It, it, it's, you're already married, you're happily married, leave it at that. Um, we're not trying to perpetuate somebody's name in Israel. And we don't, land grant isn't like that, okay? In, in, yes, we want to have an inheritance and we want to leave it to our children and to our children's children. And God says a righteous man will do that. Yes, we want to leave an inheritance. But it's not important. Like, if you don't have children in America or in the church, you're not a second-class Christian, I just want us to understand that. We don't look down on you. haven't procreated yet? Oh, shame, shame, and, we're, and we don't make you feel poorly or something like that. That's crazy. And we know in the New Testament that's not even a thing. In Israel, it was a thing. Okay? The first commandment, be fruitful, multiply. <coughs> uh, great. Uh, that's not always possible. And in America, it's certainly not. And uh, more and less and less children are being born all the time. Uh, it's it's not a thing to a lot of people. It's it's not a it's not a. Uh, I'm not going to try to make you feel poorly if you're like, well, I I don't want ten children. I there must be something wrong with me. Not at all. I'm not even I'm not even going there. I'm not judgmental or anything like that. Less and less people being uh, born in America all the time, and more and more people are being born to single family homes. Uh, there's more people in America who go to bed without a mom and dad in the house, their natural biological mom and dad, than... By the way, he's saying, where's Suze? Well, she's with a, a nephew, a, a gift from God nephew. My brother-in-law adopted. Uh, my brother-in-law's, he's as old as we are. He's a couple, three years, maybe a couple years less than I am. Uh, but he's got a three-year-old, God bless him, uh, through a set of strange circumstance. Well, I say strange. Not that you'd be able to figure it out. Like God, doing God's... Mom and dad weren't able. I don't know if there ever was a dad who was serious about, but mom was not capable of mothering, and so they've adopted him. And that's where Suze is today. And more and more. Uh, so we have a, a guy who's probably 60 years old, has a three-year-old son. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that incredible? He's the uncle to 
people who are substantially older than him by maybe 20 years or more, maybe 30 years. And he's their uncle. That's crazy. Uh, I, you know, when I, because we were with him yesterday at the apple orchard and stuff, and nobody asked, but, you know, we got this kid, and they're probably just assuming that, you know, we're his, you know, grandparents or great-grandparents. I don't even know. Because I have nephews and nieces who are, they're all married and have kids, most of them. I have a, I have a niece who's a grand, grandmother. Okay, so, you know, and that's kind of more, you know, my age and how it works out in my situation. And so, what a blessing. And I think we're going to see more and more of this. People, the family is, is broken, but these kids still have to go somewhere. And so the families who are intact and know what to do with kids, love them, feed them, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think God will bring children to us. I, I really think so. Anyway, so you don't have to do this. This is just how, because God was very intent on not having somebody's name be put out of Israel. If the man liked not to take his brother's wife, why would he do that? He knows her. <laughs> you nagged that my brother to death. He's, you're a horrible woman. You're a shrew. You're a, uh, maybe he thinks she's, I, whatever reason, you know what I mean? He, he says, nah, I'm not interested in doing that, taking up, you know, for my brother. He know, maybe he knows that the inheritance is going to go to his brother's son. And he doesn't want any part of that. But if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. We're talking about captives caught in war uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, some objected. Boy, I'd feel like a chattel. I'd feel like, you know, uh, not having a husband, not having someone to take care of you in your old age, not having a child. It's a big deal in Israel. It's not like you're going to open a business. We always look at Israel through Western, like 21st century American eyes. And we think of like, well, how come they just don't, well, why don't they just apply for Social Security? You know, why don't, we have weird ideas like we superimpose everything we know on that culture. And, and God say, no, there's no Social Security. There's family. And I've got, I've got a, a method to take care of. And I've got, and, and, and on and on it goes. I don't want to do it, he says. I'm sticking to it. The elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. What are they going to say? They're going to try to convince him. It's what Moses has prescribed. What's your problem? Why wouldn't you do this? And they're going to talk to him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her. I, I, I'm not interested at all. Find somebody else. Forget about it. You know the story of Ruth. We call it the romance of redemption. I haven't taught on that in a long time. I did some teaching out there somewhere. I think it's really good. But I think others have done far surpassed me. You know, Ruth, the Moabitess, you know, she's taken into the commonwealth of Israel. And a man named Boaz sees her. And I think he's smitten. I, you know, the, the language there. And I understand. I'm, as one who's been smitten, I totally get it. Um, so he... He, he says, well, I want to take her to wife, but there's one closer. <gasps> and we, you know, envision like, uh, I don't know, so, you know, it, but we don't want, we're rooting for Boaz. And so, you know, he goes to the elders of the gate and he calls the one. He says, oh, such a one. He knows his name, of course, the near kinsman, but he doesn't tell us because he's not trying to defame him. And this actually goes on. He says, uh, our brother Abimelech died. You want his land? Yeah, yeah, sure I do. And I'll pay, you know, the, the price. Well, Ruth goes with, and all of a sudden he's like, ah, no, no thanks, no thanks. You think, wait, is she like a ferocious looking? No, I think she's rather nice looking. I think it's, well, I'll just tell you. I think it's a picture of the law. The nearer kinsman, I think, is the law. You think he'd be able to redeem first. And when he says, I can't do, I think that's a picture of, let's just say powerless to redeem okay infertility can I just put it that way he he can't he can't redeem well the law can't you'd think it could but it can't and anyone puts their trust in the law to redeem you know the New Testament tells us by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified read here saved you can't get saved by the law I know that's news to a lot of us vast majority of America thinks you can be saved by 
Allah by being a good person, by living the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, live the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> How cute are you? Uh, be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. And that hasn't stopped you from trying. Let's keep moving. Okay. I, I, I'm not taking her. I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. She humiliates him. She takes off his shoe. What's that all about? The shoe is where you stand. I own this place. Uh, you remember wherever you put the soles of your foot? I've given it to you. Now it's... It, it, it calls that into question. And it is in question as far as she's concerned. Who's going to inherit the land? Uh, and she spits in his face. Now in any culture, that's not a blessing. Okay? What she's saying is, hey, thanks for nothing. And then his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. So he's going to be wearing that moniker for a long time to come. Um, leave right marriage. Anyway, if you want more on that, again, the book of Ruth is very instructive. But let's keep moving. <clears throat> when men strive together one with another, and thank you, Lord, for giving us these wonderful verses. I, I, don't, I don't skip verses, right? So let's just plunge right in. When men strive together one with another, and the wife of the one draweth near to deliver her husband out of the hand of him that smiteth him, and putteth forth her hand and taketh him by the secrets. Yes, that means what you think it means. Then thou shalt cut off her hand, thou shalt, uh, thine eye shall not pity her. Say, wow, it's a little heavy-handed, pun intended. Uh, what is that all about? Now, it doesn't say she can't come into defense of her husband. She can't, you know, hit the guy over the head with a, with a club or something. Or she can't jump on his back and bite his ear off, you know. So she can't do that. Why? We were just talking about procreating on behalf of another. That's the part that's involved with having heirs or children. And I think if you look at this, this is the way God has designed it. This is almost like self-willed. Okay, she's putting her hand on the, the first brother who doesn't take... That's how the, the, the line would be uh, secured, okay? But, so that's what she's taking hold of. I think this is like an act of self-will. I think this is saying like, like we say, I'm just going to do this in power of my own strength. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live eternally. I'm just going to huff and puff and do things not the way God is ordain them the way I think they should be. And I think this is a picture of that. Look, in God's economy, God is, Jesus is the, he's, he's the kinsman redeemer. Do you get that? Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. This is the way that you have inheritance through Christ. This here is a picture of, I think, a picture of an alternate methodology. Um, I actually know a situation where this happened. An electrician was, it was over a parking space at the mill down the street here when I was just a, an apprentice. And the guy wasn't even married to the girl and she grabbed the guy by stuff she shouldn't be grabbing anyone by and he just backhanded her and smacked her one uh, and she was lucky she wasn't living on the law she still had her hands last time I knew um, so this actually can happen um, it's, it's, it's God putting an emphasis on procreation on again his first commandment is be fruitful and multiply okay don't be now, if somebody's attacking you, listen, ladies, okay, if somebody's attacking you violently, all bets are off. It, to, knees are a good tool to well-placed knee will take the starch out of somebody's sails, and we will applaud you in that situation, okay? Uh, this is on behalf of your husband in his situations, and, and just don't do that, okay? 
I'm, I'm reading these verses and guys are cringing, you know. I just, yeah, let's keep moving. <laughs> you know, if people pick and choose what they're going to teach on, they never get around to this verse. I'm just saying, okay. Uh, there's large parts of Deuteronomy this, that just go unaddressed. Thou shalt not have in thy uh, bag diverse weights, uh, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things and all that do unrighteously, unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord. Don't have differing weights. Don't have differing measures. Guy uh, in Israel, he's uh, um, selling butter. And the guy who buys the butter, he says, every time I buy butter off this guy, I think I'm getting, you know, less than I bargained for. So he, he weighs it up at home. Yep, it's a little less. And so he takes him to the judge. And he says, guy's ripping me off. He's, he's selling me, I, I pay for a pound of butter and he doesn't give me a pound of butter. And the judge says, okay, what's your, what's your issue? What are, you do, what are you doing? What are you stealing from? He says, well, no, I just... I bought a pound of grain off him, and I used the pound of grain that I bought to measure the pound of butter. <laughs> Case dismissed, right? The guy was ripping off everybody else, and he got ripped off, and he didn't like it. But isn't it sad God has to tell us that? Because we're like that. We're so prone to just try to beat everybody out of every last little nickel we can. Just do honest business. Now you say, well, I don't, we don't sell like that, and we don't... Uh, you know, uh, uh, how does this, hey, we have differing weights, differing measures. Your sin looks so much more hideous on you than it does on me. Did you know that? Because I, I don't mind uh, measuring with diverse weights. When it's me, it's like a, uh, it's, a it's, it's not even worth talking about. It's a little idiosyncrasy. With you, oh, it's this glaring sin. Don't you see how horrible it is? You should repent from that, brother. You should turn away from that, sister. And I become the guy who's looking at the speck in your eye with the two-by-four in my eye. Uh, we wouldn't have parables like that if it wasn't for our propensity to do things like that. I want to be very, very gracious. When I tell you to turn from sin, it's not because I'm a judgmental so-and-so, it's because I know that it's going to lead to suffering later on, and I love you enough to not want you to suffer. That's the whole thing. It's not like, uh, I, I hope, I hope my own mind. I don't want to be a judgmental. I, I understand what you're up against. I'm up against the same things. I'm like you. There's no difference whatsoever. Oh, yeah, you're up front teaching the Word of God. But I'm teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. And the things that I'm telling you, it's not, it's not like, you know, I get to a place of perfection, now I'm able to teach this. I've said this in the past, and I think it bears repeating. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I'm so convicted by what I'm teaching, if I gave an altar call, I'd be the first person up here praying for me. Or well, actually, I'd ask the elders to pray for me. And I do, because there are things. I have people in my life who, like, I not like a confessor or anything like that, but people who, like, they hold my feet to the fire, and I, and I check with them, and they, they ask me specific things, hard questions, look me right in the eye, in front of God and everyone. And I, I shouldn't, I won't lie to them, because that's not a benefit. Uh, I'm, I'm just like you. I, I'm just, I need the same like you need, and I don't want to be the guy with differing weights and measures, and we should have nothing to do with anything like that. It's abominable. So I'm pointing you, so you better repent, and I'm doing the things that I'm telling you to repent from. Who goes to a church like that with pastors practicing open sin and is really hypocritical? But I try to be. See, you know why I tell you about things like this? Because I'm trying to be open. I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to be like, I don't want to be holier than thou guy. I don't even want you to think of me in terms like that. But let's keep moving. Remember what Amalek did to thee, by the way, when he, you would come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee, by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble 
uh, behind thee when thou wast faint and weary. And he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God giveth thee rest from all thy enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance from Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Interesting to me, Saul didn't do that, and he lost the kingdom, and that's why God judged him. That's why David succeeded him, because he didn't wipe out the Amalekites. At the end, do you remember when um, his, his life was taken by an Amalekite there uh, in the end of Second Samuel, beginning of 1 Kings? I don't remember exactly. In the Second Samuel, I guess. <coughs> Haman was a uh, uh, descendant from the Amalekites of uh, Esther fame, the bad guy there. Uh, Amalekites become a picture in Scripture of the flesh. And this is why God says deal with them ruthlessly. You would, be, you would do well to take your flesh and deal with it ruthlessly. No quarter. Uh, in Romans, it tells us to mortify. What's mortify? Oh, I was mortified. I was embarrassed. Embarrassed? The no, it means to put to death. Mort, like mortuary, mortician. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Put them to death. No mercy. I'm not meeting you halfway on this. The deeds of the flesh are formidable, powerful, and we have to put them down ruthlessly. Why? Again, because I'm a legalistic prig? No, because I love you and I understand the flesh. It's a little bit, you know, it's like, it's like a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. We let it get a little bit and we're just kind of like, oh, it's my pet sin. Look, it's a dalliance. It's just, and now all of a sudden, like all sin, it engulfs, it grows, it gets to the point where we can't control it and, it's out, it, and now we're slaves to it. Sin's like that. Only, always. Okay, let's keep moving. Yeah, don't forget Amalek. Wipe them out. Now, chapter 26 is a lot about tithing. It shall come when thou art come into the... By the way, I don't practice tithing. I mean, I practice tithing. I don't teach tithing. You say, why don't you? I think it's a, a New Testament concept. It's give unto the Lord. Um, interesting fact, interesting fact about it. I heard a few of them this morning. I think I'll share them with you. I'll take time. Uh, church attendance is off in America 40% since uh, COVID. I think giving must be off 40%. Not at all. It's not off at all. I hear these statistics repeatedly. 40% of people went away and none of the money. <laughs> what does that tell us? That the serious givers stayed. Isn't that funny? I, it is to me. And by the way, I want to say something about money I haven't said in a long time. I don't know who gives, and I will not know who gives. One of the things, when we first started here, um, two treasurers ago, Brenda's our treasurer now, she does a wonderful job. She's such a blessing. I, want, I just want to publicly ever know what a blessing she is. Um, one of the things I told her predecessor, two predecessors ago, is um, I, I have nothing, the money is here, I'm here. Okay, I don't write checks. I don't have anything to do with the money. I don't touch the money. I don't, it's, 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 so people aren't thinking like, oh yeah, 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 give, 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 so Adam can, no, 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 it's nothing like that. Two, I wanted to never know who gave what. Okay, so I can teach unhindered by, because if I say something like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm teaching on whatever it is, whatever, and I know somebody has a, a heartache about that. That's their golden calf, you know, I better not touch. I don't care. I'm going to teach the Bible. And if you have a problem with that, take it up with the author. I'm going to be as honest as I can and teach what I think the Word of God says. And, and if somebody says, well, I'm taking my tithe check, and they're a big giver, and they say, well, I'm getting out of it. It's like, see ya. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't mold my sermons around not trying to offend the big givers because I don't know who they are. I never have. I never will. I don't want that to be part of the recipe. I think it's a recipe for disaster. So as far as money is concerned, I don't spend it. If we have a lot of it or a little bit of it, I'll take, we'll, as a board of elders, we determine what charities we give to. And you want your money to go towards the things that God wants 
money to go to. We want to be on the same page. So we pray and we try to, you know, physically figure that out. And I'm not the only one. I don't have, I don't touch the money. I don't, you know, I don't count it. I don't have access to the bank account. I don't carry a debit card for the church. I have my own personal, of course, you know what I mean. But I, I just, here's money, here's me, and let's let that be the way it's always going to be. Uh, and I, I believe in the principle of giving. And we've always been givers. And we practice the tithe because easy math. And early on, somebody showed me through Scripture that, why that was a good thing. I've disagreed with it since. Boy, you want to get on a web page and start in a discussion room and say tithing is a thing of the past for Israel. <gasps> Even Calvary Chapel pastors will just go, oh, you're an idiot, you're horrible. You're... Why? Because I think they're very dependent on I know, God bless, I know some people actually believe that with their heart of hearts. And good, good, that's fine. It doesn't make you a heretic or anything. But I think like giving is the New Testament principle. And would to God that all God's people gave. And again, Tithe means tenth. I just, like I say, I just think it's the easy math principle. And me personally, now that I know better, I think I'll still tithe. Because, you know, it's just, I, mean, I don't want to do less than Israel did. It just seems like, you know what I mean? God's been very gracious to me. And I want to tell you, well, I'd love to tithe, but I can't because I'm financially in a pinch. I, I'm just going to say it. We were making, I was taking home $80 a week from the woolen mill in Corinna when I first got out of the Marine Corps. I got a job for like $4 an hour, okay? I know, I know, right? <laughs> 1981, okay? I, I took my dinosaur to work and, you know, we, I punched into the rock quarry, you know, along Fred, side Fred Flintstone, and I got $4 an hour, and it was closed down. It slowed down to four days a week and closed, slowed down to three days a week. And I was taking $80 home, family of four, and we were starving to death. <laughs> Don't make no bones about it. And I thought that the first eight bucks was God's. I want to tell you, I make a little bit more than $4 an hour now, and I'm fine. God's, I, I, it, it, look, it was fine. It was fine. God's good, okay? He, he's always blessed us. There was a time we went through some real tough ordeals. I think those are good times to learn. We trusted on God. We prayed mightily. I, it, was, it was a big time when I had enough money to take the kids to McDonald's, okay? That was, no, get the chicken McNuggets. We're, we're going to shoot the works, just the whole thing. We're gonna, you know, and that, that was, it's laughable now, but at that time it was a, it was a real blessing because, you know, and, and times are tough, but God always sees us. You really think you, you really think you're going to starve to death? You really think so? You really think that about God? Let's keep moving. Uh, it, hold on, I better move. It shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possess it and dwellest therein, thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring to thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shall put it in a basket. And shall go into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. We understand it's going to be Jerusalem, but it wasn't at the first. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. Is that important? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to say that soon. Someday soon. Jerusalem? Oh, a better country. A heavenly. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. And the priest shall take the basket out of thy hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. I think that basket is symbolic of all things that we're going to take into his presence. Physical things? None. You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. And thou shalt speak and, and say before the Lord thy God, Assyrian, ready to perish, was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Who's Assyrian? Abraham. Uh, he went down to Egypt. He was just a few. He's ready to perish. Uh, and the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. That refers to Jacob. It refers to his, the 12 tribes. We cried in the Lord our God, 
of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked upon our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great uh, terribleness and with signs and with wonders. What's he talking about? He's talking about, listen, as we would say, salvation. Egypt, a picture of the world. Is this true of us? Yes. And he's brought us into this place and has given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. God knows how to bless. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice, because worship and rejoicing go hand in hand. Isn't God good? We can be happy about it. He's, he's blessed us amazingly. Thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and, that, and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. Plenty of blessing go around, in other words. When thou hast made an end of tithing, all the tithes of thine increase, the third year, which is the year of tithing, and hath given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. Then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, and have... And also have given them unto the Levite, unto the stranger, to the fatherless, to the widow, according to all thy commandments, which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any clean use, uh, unclean use, not, nor given aught thereof for the dead. But I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord my God, and have done according to all that thou hast commanded me. Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the land which thou hast given us as thou swearest unto our fathers a land that floweth with milk and honey. This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar, uh, special, right? Peculiar. Uh, you are peculiar. I'm, I'm, I'll give you that. But it means special in the sense of like particular, okay? Uh, the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people as he hath promised thee and that thou should keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he had made in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be in holy people unto the Lord thy God as he has spoken. What's that all about? So I come into the land, right? We take the first fruits and we bring it to the priest and we, and we profess this profession that has to do with our salvation. We proclaim it before God. What are we saying? Hey, God, you made good on all your promises. Here I am, living in the land of promise, eating of the, the fruit, the, 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 that which cometh of the land. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for all you've done. Look, look at all the goodies that you've given me. I don't think I've got you yet. You see how, look, look, read here. The Lord delights in keeping his promises. Has he made a promise to you? Tons. Tons. When we're up against it, I'm going to teach on Psalm 3 tonight. Actually, I did it yesterday morning. I, I recorded it. I'm going to broadcast it. I'm going to put it on Facebook tonight. Psalm 3. Ten thousands have risen up against me. How many have risen up against you? Now, sometimes it feels like ten thousand. I would suggest it's somewhat less, Right? But we feel like, oh, the whole world's trying to get me. And God's saying, relax, I got this. I, I always keep my promises. I never lie. We always, very often when we're up against it. Now, see, it's one thing. It's one thing to, to you know, read it like a psalm like Psalm 3 and, and take stock and, and, and have faith. And, okay, God's able to see me through. It's quite another thing when we're up against it to find these psalms and these promises of God, and to say, I'm claiming this. This is, this is what you've said in, in, to this one in a situation like the one I'm in now. And I know you're a, you're a covenant-keeping God. I know you're a prayer-answering God. I know you're faithful. I know when you said it, it's yea and amen. I know it's not conditional. I know, I know 
I know who you are. You delight in our God. Think about this. yod heh vav heh of the Bible makes promises that kind of pinch, if I can put that way, that puts him at a disadvantage to keep them. You say, what are you talking about? Um, Jesus had to secure your salvation with his blood. That's kind of big. He's saying, ah, forget it. If I promise and I change my mind later on, and I think, like, ah, I know what I said, but I said it in haste. I didn't mean it. I didn't think it all the way through. Um, forget about it. What kind of God would he be? Well, I'll tell you what kind of God he'd be. The representation of the Muslim God called Allah, he's capricious. That's their own word, not mine. Read here, untrustworthy. It was... Uh, I think it was Muhammad's uncle or something like that said, if I had one foot in paradise and the other, the other on a banana peel, I wouldn't know that I was going to paradise because Allah can change his mind at any time. You want to go ahead and worship God like that? Have at it. This is America. You can worship anyone you want. But know that the God of the Bible is not like that. Hey, my, my great, late greats, they were Syrians. They were, we, we were ready to perish. We went down to Egypt. They mistreated us. Uh, you showed up and you promised us that you'd deliver us and that you'd bring us into the land of promise. And here we are. Because I'm trying to convince you that, God, that all the Amalekites in the world, all the Girgashites and Jebusites and whatever it is that's arrayed against you, Let's put them in terms that we can appreciate. Fear. Discouragement. I told you, because I, I try to be honest, I try to be open. Discouragement was a thing in my life. As a Christian, as a man of God, as a Calvary Chapel pastor, I was discouraged often. Until God just kind of brought me up short. Son, what are you walking around with your face in the mud all the time? I'm God. I'm on the throne. I keep promising. I had a and I had to come to repentance I had to work on that will God deliver it I'm trying to tell you something he keeps his promises the outcome of the battle is never in question ever 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 that was a good place for an amen you want me to tee it up again you want another swing at that guys Guys, listen, this whole chapter is saying, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was ready to perish, I was, but you stepped in. You promised this. You said you were going to deliver. Here I am. Look at my first fruits. Isn't this awesome? Oh, I got way more back at the barn. God, you're blessing me beyond measure. You're so in, incredibly good. Look at my family. Look at my uh, kids. Look at my kids' kids. Look at my wealth. Look at my social bearing. Look at my status. Look at my health. God, are you awesome or what? And we're, we're at that place where we're rehearsing a God. We're, we're talking about his, his goodness, his blessing. His, don't, don't you want that in your life? Don't you want God's blessing? Don't you want your best for his life? You, his best for your life? I'm telling you, you do. What do you want? I want a marriage like everybody else's marriage. Out there. No, you guys do well. Can I just say that? You guys do well. Anyone's having a really crummy time at it, they always leave church and then get divorced elsewhere. I've seen it. Because <coughs> they know how we feel about marriage. You guys do well. Pass it on, because the whole world's not doing well as far as marriage is concerned. Did you notice that? You guys do well in a lot of areas. You've got this. You understand what Christianity looks like, what life looks like. Look, talking about the rapture, I only got a few minutes. I'm going to bring us to a close. I was listening to a, a, a podcast on the way down here, because I do that. Uh, less than, okay, 39% of us believe in pre-tribulation rapture, 39% of Christians. Over half of people who go to church, and I won't say Christians, don't believe that Jesus is coming soon or at all. Well, listen to the horror of just what I said. Half of churchgoers don't believe Jesus is coming back soon or at all. The majority of Christian pastors do not believe in pre-tribulation rapture or the rapture. You guys do well. Can I tell you something? This is what you do. 
God has made a promise. I'm standing on that promise. I don't care what you say. You can't dissuade me that God's not faithful. You can say anything you want. At the end of the day, I look, I got a promise right here. I got tabbed in my Bible. Romans 8, 28, is that a promise? You can check it twice a day to see if it's still there or if it's disappeared yet. Uh, so many, so many promises. And God delights to make and keep his promises, even if it costs him everything. And can I tell you, it does. It cost him his son to secure our salvation. Hey, isn't, isn't he a good God? Well, let's worship him then. Let's stand and we'll go out of here singing this good God that we have. Hey, you want to tithe? God bless you. You, don't want, you want to give regular just without tithing? God bless you. Well, let him figure it out. Well, should I, should I tithe on the, on the, 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 the gross or the net? Uh, do you want to get blessed on the gross or the net? I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, whatever, we can talk about it after. I, you know, if, if you're really uh, worried about that sort of thing. Um, this, is, this is what I would do if I had never given to God and if I was thinking about, Lord, you've blessed me. What do you want me to do? And just you and him work it out. I, I trust you do that. This isn't somebody who's money hungry. This is somebody who's your brother, who loves you and says, come in a place where God can wipe you out with his blessing. He will. He, he, loves, to, he loves to promise and then keep his promises. He says if you give to the poor, you loan to God. God always pays his debts. You're not going to give them. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for who you are, the keeper of promises, and none of us can even pretend that you haven't been very good to us. Uh, the one who says, well, God hasn't been good to me, he, he, he's, he's not paying attention. He doesn't know that you've been very gracious. Even if he's not saved, Lord, we know your word says that you cause it to rain on the just and the unjust. And many blessings are ours, not even for being your children, just for being alive. I mean, we all enjoy the same uh, stars and sunsets and rainbows and beautiful things you've given us and material blessings for living in a place like this. Even the poor of us, Lord, have smartphones and television sets. So we thank you for being good to us. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.